Hi, welcome to Let's Talk Trade, a podcast by the World Trade Organization. I'm Yuri Zabu Yamashita. For most people, the year is wrapping up. But for us here at the WTO, the main event of the year is still ahead of us. In a few days, the 12th Ministerial Conference will take place here in Geneva, the WTO's home. But these gatherings already took place in North and South America, in Africa, in Europe, in Asia. They can produce important breakthroughs or end in disagreements. They make headlines or may go unnoticed. What is the Ministerial Conference? Who takes part? Why do they matter? This Let's Talk Trade special season will give you an exclusive glimpse into these questions. And we do it by talking to the people who help make these conferences happen. The WTO staff. So let's talk trade. Today's episode. From dawn to dusk. Singapore to Seattle. To kick things off, we spoke to a few colleagues about the ministerial conferences that took place in the 90s, including someone who's been to all ministerials to date. Hello, my name is Keith Rockwell. I'm the director of the Information and External Relations Division at the WTO, and I am the organization's spokesman. I've been with the organization for more than 25 years, and I've been to every one of the ministerial conferences up to now starting with the ministerial conference in Singapore in 1996, which was our first. So it was agreed in the Uruguay round that there would be ministerial conferences held every two years. And the reason for this was that they thought it was absolutely crucial that negotiators be given political impetus and direction as they were charting the future of the multilateral trading system. Now, What this meant was that the ministerial conference was established as our preeminent decision-making body. The general council is the regular meeting of ambassadors half a dozen times a year, five, six times a year in Geneva. But the ministerial conference is the big, big uh, decision-maker at our organization. It's where the political direction comes. And because of its political nature, it attracts all kinds of stakeholders including members of civil society, business, lots of journalists, many more than in the GATT days. And this has made for a very different kind of um, of atmosphere, a very different kind of ambiance, and it makes the stakes really very high. There had been previous ministerial conferences in the days of the WTO's predecessor, the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade. Before I came to the WTO, I was a journalist, and I actually attended many of these ministerial conferences for the GATT in Montreal, in Brussels, in Marrakesh, and here in Geneva in 1993 when they agreed to the Uruguay Round and set up the WTO. Now, those ministerials were very different than what we subsequently had with the WTO. I had just arrived in in September, and... We, the ministerial conference was in early December, and no one knew quite what to expect. But on arrival, you could tell this was a very different ball game. There were many more people. There were many more delegates, more journalists, thousands of journalists, which was very different from what we had in the GATT days. Uh, and there were many protesters. 
who were um, carefully placed in a specific area by by the Singapore authorities. There were trade unionists, development activists, and whatnot, and they carried out their their um, their protests in a peaceful and, and indeed constructive way. What happened at that ministerial in terms of substance? Well, there were a couple of things. One of them was that it was agreed to um, have a plurilateral agreement on eliminating tariffs on information technology products, ITA-1, this was called. So the other thing that was uh, significant about the Singapore Ministerial Conference is that it brought to light the so-called Singapore issues. There were four of these issues, uh, investment, competition, transparency in government procurement, and trade facilitation. Now, those issues were not agreed, and it was at several subsequent ministerial conferences that they were put on the shelf. It wasn't until 2004 at a ministerial meeting, not a conference, uh, in Geneva, that the members agreed to, to commence negotiations on trade facilitation. Those negotiations um, were successful, and they brought about the trade facilitation agreement at the ministerial conference in Bali in 2013. Such was the um, glow about the membership following this ministerial conference that the membership adopted the Singapore ministerial logo as the official logo of the World Trade Organization. So it was a, it was a good start. It was a, a time where there was a lot of hope and expectation for the organization, but it was still a time when people weren't quite sure what the organization's role in the wider economy and in, and in global society should be. And this changed really very quickly because we had a ministerial conference less than two years later in 1998. Um, we had it at that particular time because our director general at that time, Renato Ruggiero, wanted to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the start of the multilateral trading system. And he invited to come to Geneva very prominent people, a truly um, uh, remarkable constellation of global leaders. I'm Annabel Gonzalez, Deputy Director General at the World Trade Organization. And I participated in uh, MC2 in Geneva in 1998 as Vice Minister of Trade of the Government of Costa Rica. MC2 was a very special uh, ministerial conference as it took place in conjunction with events commemorating the 50th anniversary of uh, the GATT, which was the predecessor to the WTO. In sitting at a packed UN auditorium, I was very uh, impressed to listen firsthand to a fantastic list of speakers, including such diverse personalities as South Africa's Nelson Mandela, US Bill Clinton, UK Tony Blair, Cuba, Fidel Castro, and Brazil's Fernando Enrique Cardoso, among others. I remembered that they were all tall men, or maybe it was that I, I saw them uh, larger than life. All of them expressed strong support for multilateral trade cooperation, which was, I thought was interesting because all came from very different political systems. They had all descended to Geneva to pay tribute to a system that had created a significant prosperity and had been instrumental in helping to sustain peace. Such a strong political commitment 
confirmed leaders' engagement with the system, the Geneva Conference also adopted a declaration on global electronic commerce, which called for a standstill on not imposing customs duties on electronic transmissions. And in this way, the WTO was ahead of its time. Uh, my name is Bernie Kuyten. I'm uh, head of external relations at the World Trade Organization. Uh, before I joined WTO, I was a delegate for the Netherlands as well as the European Commission. My first ministerial conference was as a delegate uh, for the Netherlands in Geneva, MC2, 98. And I remember as a, as a fairly junior person, I was asked to do all sorts of things, you know, in support and in preparation of ministers coming to town. It had a lot of high-level guests. I had to go to WTO and I had to go to meetings where we were negotiating ministerial texts. And one of these days, quite close to the actual date of the ministerial, we ended up in the area of the WTO uh, in front of barriers and riot police. And we had to go to the actual building to go to a meeting. So me and several other delegates who arrived, they said, can we leave our cars here because we need to go to WTO and there's no other way in. And the riot police, the Geneva riot police actually said, no, no, it's absolutely no problem. You can, you can go there. You can leave your cars here. Little that we know, because this was the first time I think the WTO was really confronted with demonstrations. And, you know, later on when we came back, we found cars upside down, burned, scratched, except for one, my car. And my reading still is they didn't touch my car because it was an old, rusty, battered car with CD plates. I was here as a diplomat. Whereas some of the other cars were big, luxury, you can imagine the brands, and they were turned upside down. It was a front page picture on the Financial Times where there was a demonstrator standing on an upside down car with a flag. And my car is in the back of that picture. And I regret I don't have it. True story, yeah? Real true story. I was driving this 15 euro car, stuff fell off, and they didn't touch it. This was not the first, nor the last big protest at the WTO ministerial conference. When I changed from uh, being a delegate to becoming a WTO secretariat official, I basically moved from trade negotiator to trade facilitator, I would argue, because that's what the WTO secretariat tends to do. Um, I was confronted with the next ministerial conference, MC3, 1999, the Battle of Seattle. Uh, for those who have either experienced it or re read about it, they know why it's called the Battle of Seattle. And imagine having to change in your mindset from being part of negotiations on sensitive issues, you know, to become the WTO Secretariat official responsible for relationships with civil society. And civil society was there. I can tell you it was there, and it was there in massive quantities. They were there because they had some serious issues. They wanted to hear more about what the WTO was going to do for developing countries. They had issues with labor standards. They had issues with the way in which the WTO was operating, and in their view, in support of developed countries only, and of companies only. Well, the interesting situation we were in is that there were these younger people on the street. They were on the streets and they were protesting. They took days off school. They weren't given them, but they took them off. And there you were in your suit and your long coat because it was winter, 
walking around, very recognizable as the opponent, the other side. So I remember putting on a baseball cap, reversed, to not look too much like a delegate. And these, kind of, these kind of indications were, I think, the level or the, the absence of knowledge about what the WTO stood for and stands for. And it's actually amazing that we got out of Seattle with slowly building better understanding of what the organization stands for. I participated in MC3 in Seattle in 1999 as the Vice Minister of Trade of the Government of Costa Rica. Prospects were not very bright for Seattle since the beginning. Director General Mike Moore had come to his post only three months before the ministerial conference after a long and acrimonious DG selection process. This left little time for preparations. I was approached by the office of the Director General at the time to ask me whether I could chair a group to decide whether the ministerial declaration should create a labor standards working group within the WTO or a body operated jointly by a number of other international organizations, including the International Labor Organization. Before the ministerial, the EU and the U.S. had tabled proposals to establish a group to examine the relationship between trade and labor. The suggestions, which did not gather much support at the time, were not included in the ministerial draft text. On December 1st, then-President Clinton gave an interview where he reiterated the call for a working group on, on labor rights to be established within the WTO. The conference organizers thought something had to be done. When the group was established, delegates were furious. There was no civility in the room. They were fighting at each other. They were fighting to get into the room. They were shouting uh, among themselves, and they were shouting at me. I held two meetings on December 2nd. The first was with all delegations, and the second with a small group of countries to try to reach agreement on the language for the ministerial declaration. I then went to work all the evening and early morning with a small group of delegates on what a text could look like. I went back to sleep uh, to my hotel at about four in the morning, thinking that we were in relatively uh, good shape to come back the next day. However, I was called at about five in the morning to let us know that uh, the meeting will not continue, that the organizers were going to pull the plug. In the early morning of uh, December the 3rd, Ambassador Charlene Barczewski, who was the chair of the, uh, of the meeting, convened ministers to tell them that the conference had ran out of time, that there was a need to take time out, and to consult with each other uh, and find creative means to finish the job. I think there are some interesting learnings from Seattle. The first one is that ministerial conferences uh, need preparation here in uh, Geneva, and that it is important to have processes in place. Uh, a second one, of course, is that ministerials can take a life of their own. Um, you can plan, uh, but you never know what can happen in the course of the ministerial conference. And the third one is that topics that may seem very acrimonious at the time uh, may also evolve in a different way. Uh, in the case of trade and labor, for example, after Seattle, uh, the WTO has worked with the International Labor Organization and others uh, to actually discuss issues of trade and labor. So, in a way, um, even after a failed ministerial, as was the case of Seattle, the system has proven to be very resilient. As a newcomer in the global stage, 
the WTO came in with a bang. The lessons learned from these ministerials came to inform the organization's future conferences. More on that on our next episode. Until next time.